Well, it's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, Yes, this is the fourth time I've been here, so if you haven't met me before, welcome. Um, Yeah, I live in Coventry. I'm not from Coventry. I'm sort of from all over the place. So, born in the south, lived most of my life in the north, and now live in the Midlands. So, I'm working my way around the country, which is uh, wonderful. But it's lovely to be back with you, and uh, especially just to be part of this teaching series that you're doing in 1 Corinthians. And so I hope that really what God's given me to say this morning really connects and ties in with the uh, other words that you've heard. And um, what I'm saying very much connects with what John spoke about three weeks ago. Obviously, he covered introduction and chapter one, and I'm looking at chapter two today. So as you'd expect, there's a, a natural progression. So we're going to start by reading that chapter together. It's 1 Corinthians 1, and that's uh, chapter 2. Just to let you know, the other scriptures I'll be referring to are on the PowerPoint, but the first chapter we'll just read together from, uh, from the Bible. So Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do not, sorry, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So as I said, I'm just going to refer briefly back to uh, the introduction in chapter 1, that you looked at three weeks ago. If you remember, this is a letter. If you, when you sit down to write an email or a letter to someone, you don't put chapter, chapters in, do you? You just go for it. You just write it as it comes from your heart or from your spirit. 
And this is very much what Paul's done. I think the, the chapters were put in later, I guess, to make things more readable and manageable. So Paul is writing or um, dictating this letter to someone else who is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's addressing various pastoral issues that they are struggling with in this Corinthian church. He's addressing things like church division and some moral issues, which you may have already looked at, as well as responding to some specific questions that they've asked him. So this letter, in a sense, is a response to a letter that they've written to him. And towards the end of, um, towards the end of chapter 1, Paul wrote in verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly and despised things, the things that are nothing to nullify or invalidate the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And if you remember from chapter 1, you'll have seen how the Greeks relied on this great intellectual ability. They were so impressed by great philosophy that the the philosophers of the day were such highly revered men. They were almost like gods. And they had the ability to persuade people with this great oratory, to change people's views. The Jews, on the other hand, uh, demanded a miraculous signs And if you remember, Jesus did so many miracles amongst the Jews, but they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe who he was. Even though he raised people from the dead, they didn't believe him. Paul himself saw miracles as part of his ministry. Uh, And they were clearly evident. You only have to read the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, But just as Paul didn't rely on Greek wisdom and oratory, he didn't rely on miracles alone to persuade people. And this is what he writes, uh, we've read already, but in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It's a, a slightly different, uh, a, a newer version of the NIV. But he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words or with fancy miracles, you could say as well, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And that's really our key text this morning. We'll come back to these verses shortly. What Paul is saying here is that he brought a plain and simple message of the crucified Christ. And this is the only means to salvation. And what's more, it is the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work that brings people to salvation through faith and empowers them to follow Christ, living holy lives, living in unity with each other and living as Christ's witnesses on earth. And this is the title of our message today, that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit This is true in so many ways, but those are the four things that I want to focus on this morning. That we're dependent on the Holy Spirit for salvation, for holiness, for unity, and for witness. And these are all reflected in this letter, as well as the wider uh, letter to the Corinthians and many of the other letters that Paul uh, wrote. So before we look briefly at these areas, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, If you want some further reading, uh, there is a... um, document on your website which is actually a thesis I wrote at college and amazingly it's all about the Holy Spirit who he is what he does 
Um, it's, it's easy to understand. I know it was a college document, but I don't write, you know, deep, deep things. It is deep because it's God's word. But if you want to learn more about who, who the Holy Spirit is, then I encourage you to read that. But I like to see, and I think one of the best ways that we can understand the Holy Spirit is that he is God's personal presence and power with us. If you remember in the Old, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was uh, seen in a cloud or a pillar of fire or the tabernacle, just in a single place for a single time. When Jesus came, everything changed. As John writes in uh, 1.14, this is from the Message Bible, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that, that the Holy Spirit is alive and at work, working through our neighborhood. When Jesus came, God was no longer present in a cloud or a fire. He was present in a person, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. But when Jesus left and returned to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in each one of us. I think that's incredible. No longer in a cloud or a pillar, no longer in just one person, but now the Holy Spirit is alive. God's personal power and presence is alive in each one of you this morning. Maybe you didn't realize that, but it's true. God's word says it's true. Not just you, but every other born-again believer on the face of this earth has the Holy Spirit living within them. So firstly then, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit for salvation. Don't misunderstand me here. Paul makes it very clear in this passage and elsewhere that there is only one way to salvation. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation comes from God alone, but the Holy Spirit is actively involved in the process of salvation. He is seen as the power by which we are brought to faith and to help understand our walk with God. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us and convicts people of sin. John writes about this in chapter 16. He explains how the Spirit works in our minds before we come to Christ. Maybe as a Christian you can look back to a time before you came to faith and and look back and see how the Holy Spirit was at work in you, showing you the truth of God for what it was, for what it is, that we are lost in our sin, that Christ has paid the price in full, on the cross and brought about restoration with God. According to Paul, it is only by the Spirit that we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So we cannot confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts, the Spirit also regenerates, brings about new birth in us, gives us life. John tried to, sorry, Jesus tried to explain this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This is from the Message Bible. Actually, no, the first, the first part of this is from the NIV and the second part from the Message. No one can enter the kingdom of God 
unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And the Message Bible says, so when you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. That's what being born again is all about. That the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates our spirit and makes us new. So we are dependent on the Holy Spirit for salvation, for the part he plays in convicting us, in bringing us to confession and in regenerating us, for this radical spiritual change in which God takes us from a condition of spiritual defeat and death to a renewed condition of holiness and life. That is what salvation is all about. And so this brings us to the second uh, area, the second way that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that is for holiness. So if you remember a few weeks ago in his introduction to this letter, John talked about us being called to be saints. We are called to be set apart to live differently from worldly systems and values. We are called to reflect Christ's glory in the world, to be holy. How can sinful people like you and me, how can we be holy? How can we be like Jesus? It's impossible sometimes, isn't it? We try so hard and sometimes we fail so miserably, or I do anyway. We need help. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. Help is at hand. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. And he does this through the lives of followers of Christ, through you and through me. Working in us, empowering us to live holy lives, producing fruit, evidence that we are like our master. That's what holiness is all about. If you think of Jesus, he was full of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness the fruit of the Spirit. He exuded the fruit of the Spirit. And when we depend on the Holy Spirit, we too will be full of this fruit, evidence of Christ living in us. I hope that makes sense. Now, it's not quite as simple as us just sitting back and letting the Holy Spirit do all the hard work of producing this fruit in us. He can't do this unless we submit to Christ and give control of his Spirit. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapter 5. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't be under the influence, don't be controlled by alcohol, but be under the influence or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, we're not like robots with the Holy Spirit sort of pressing a button and directing what we do, controlling our every move. But when we surrender to Christ, we enable the Holy Spirit to control us. If you think about people when they're under the influence of alcohol, half the time they don't know what they're doing or they don't know what they're saying and they often act very um, atypical to their character. But that's very different. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we act in accordance with the character of Christ. And to the extent that we depend on the Spirit and allow him to work in us 
That is the extent to which we grow in holiness. This doesn't come cheaply for us. It means that we have to surrender our lives. We have to give everything. It will cost us everything. This is what Harold Herner in his commentary writes. Each Christian has all the spirit. But the command here is that the spirit have all of him. The wise walk, then, is one that is characterized by the Holy Spirit's control. It's an ongoing, minute-by-minute, day-by-day process as we submit to the Spirit's work in us. That's what sanctification is all about. It's a fancy word. Sometimes we don't quite understand what it means. But it's the process of transformation, of becoming more like Jesus. So we're dependent on the Holy Spirit for salvation, for holiness, And thirdly, for unity. And again, this is something that John spoke about a few weeks ago. We're called to be one. All the things, in fact, that he spoke about, to be um, saints, to be thankful, to be one and to be foolish, all those things we can only do when we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. I uh, I heard a great interview um, last week with Melinda Gates. I don't know if you know who that is but she's married to Bill Gates who is the founder of Microsoft so for which we are thankful because I'm sure that's why we've got PowerPoint this morning because of Bill Gates and Microsoft but they're an amazing couple they give away so much money they um, have apparently have given away 35 billion dollars to humanitarian uh, projects they don't just give it away they establish and set up and run the projects too Melinda Gates, she referred to this as her faith in action. If you want to look more online, you can uh, just um, Google uh, the Gates Foundation and you'll find out more. But one of their initiatives is providing effective birth control um, for women in developing countries, empowering them and and saving the lives of many women and many babies. Um, Melinda Gates um, has grown up in Catholic faith and... Obviously, this has brought her into some conflict with Catholic Church leaders over their um, view and opinion on contraception. But, you know, she said that rather than focusing on their differences, this is what she says. We look for places of common interest. We work on those parts of the mission together. We agree to disagree about the pieces that we don't agree on. We always focus on where the commonalities are. They're focusing on unity. They're not spending hours in a room having a big argument about what they disagree on. They're coming together in unity and in doing that, changing the lives of millions. And as Christians, you know, we have something that can change the lives of millions for all eternity. Gift of salvation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Salvation, this is what God has freely given us. And through salvation, all believers, no matter what denomination we worship with, all believers have been given one Spirit, not the Spirit of the world, not the Spirit of different wisdom or different values, but the one Spirit of God who brings unity. As Paul wrote later in his letter, we were all baptized by one spirit. 
so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Are you understanding this? There's one spirit and it's the spirit that brings unity. Paul told the Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Unity doesn't just happen. I'm sure you've already worked that out. We need to work on it. And for that, we need the Holy Spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't think there's any room for debate here, is there? One spirit that brings us together, unites us. So instead of focusing on our differences, let's focus on what we have in common. Salvation, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, the unity of the Spirit. This is the only way we are going to reach people with the gospel. Too often the church spends time arguing amongst itselves. That isn't going to help people outside the four walls. We need to come together and focus on, our, on what we have in common. And this leads nicely to the final point. So we're dependent on the Holy Spirit for salvation, for holiness, for unity, and finally, for witness or for mission. Let's go back to those verses that we read earlier. Um, This is from the New Living Translation, which is slightly different. Paul says, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but the power of God. Verse 4 doesn't negate the need for study and preparation. It would have been great just to turn up this morning, open the Bible, and suddenly just have all this. But I have had to prepare and study for this, and those of you that preach will understand that. The same goes for our witness too. We all have a responsibility. When we share the gospel, we have to understand what we're talking about. To understand the good news of Jesus Christ and to be able to explain it to people in simple terms. It doesn't have to be the wise and persuasive words that the Greeks were so fond of. These will not change a person's heart. And nor will miracles. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. As we have seen already, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit when it comes to salvation to convict, to to soften people's hearts. But we are dependent on the Holy Spirit who empowers us as witnesses. Familiar verse to you all, I'm sure, Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to who Christ is and what he has done. John 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Just as the first early believers were empowered to go out as witnesses because they'd seen Christ, hadn't they? They'd been with him, Peter, James, John, the apostles. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen him in action. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him rise again. They had that message of salvation and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And just like them, we are too empowered by the Holy Spirit as witnesses to what we've seen Christ do in our lives and in each other's lives. We have all been sent. We are all commissioned by Christ to be his witnesses. And we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're having a conversation with someone. Maybe you're at work with someone. And the Holy Spirit will just nudge or prompt you to say something, to share a testimony of how God has helped you, to to have faith and to courage, courage. And we trust the Holy Spirit to take our simple words and to bring them to life, to point people to Christ. This is the demonstration of the Spirit's power that Paul is talking about. In this particular context, he's not talking about miraculous signs, although, as we can see, Paul did some miracles. No, what he's talking about here is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to work in a person's heart and to bring them to God, to salvation. Paul's confidence was not in his own great intellect or oratory, although he had every reason to do so. But instead, his message was plain and simple, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he too, like us, was, was dependent on the Holy Spirit to help him as a witness. He allowed the Holy Spirit to guide his words, to guide his actions. And we need to follow this example to keep our message simple and depend on the Holy Spirit in what we say and in bringing people to Jesus and bringing glory to Jesus. So let's do a quick recap of our message this morning. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Firstly, for salvation. To bring the conviction of sin into people's lives, the need of a saviour. To bring people to confession and to new birth in Jesus Christ. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can come to salvation. Secondly, are we dependent on the Holy Spirit for holiness in our own lives? He is at work in us. He's at work in you right now, producing evidence, producing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, evidence of Christ's nature in us, transforming us, making us holy, and making us more like Jesus every day. Thirdly, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit for unity through salvation. All believers, you and me, every believer that's meeting this morning to worship God, we've all been given the same one spirit. Not the spirit of the world, not of different wisdom or different values, but a spirit of unity, the one spirit of God. And fourthly, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit for our witness. Christ sent his Holy Spirit to empower us as witnesses to testify to Jesus and his salvation, not with clever, fancy words, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to leave you with. Because whilst we are dependent on the Holy Spirit 
for salvation, for holiness, for unity and witness. It's not an excuse for us just to sit back and expect the Holy Spirit to do all the work. As I've mentioned briefly already, we have a part to play. We are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. But if you remember what Paul wrote to the Philippians, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our actions, our lifestyle, our devotion to God, they demonstrate that our faith is genuine. So whilst the Spirit works in us to transform us, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, he can only do this when we surrender every part of our lives to Jesus Christ. We all have the same one Spirit, but unity only comes when we choose to focus on what we have in common and not just to look at our differences. To look at our differences will only divide us. We have to focus on what we have in common. The Spirit empowers us as witnesses to Christ, but we have to step out in faith. We are Christ's hands and feet. We have to obey the prompts of the Spirit and talk to people and pray for people and live holy lives. That's what being a witness is all about. One last scripture for you. Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Well, we are sent. We have been commissioned. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, dependent on him for salvation, for holiness, for unity, and for witness. Let's just take a moment and allow that just to sink in. I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to empower us, to comfort us, to work through us and to work through others. Help us today to realize how much we depend on your Spirit for our salvation, for holiness, for unity with each other and to be empowered as witnesses to your gospel. Father, I pray this morning that this word would just settle in each one of our spirit, that we would chew over this word throughout the week and see it outworked in our lives and come to trust you more and come to rely on you more and submit and surrender our lives, empowering your spirit to work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.